0: Hello and welcome to the Film Pulse podcast. This is episode number two hundred and seventy-one. My name is Adam Patterson. We're joined today by Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? It's doing pretty good. All right. This week on the show, well, we have two reviews lined up for you. We got Takeshi Meike's Blade of the Immortal, which is out now on VOD, oh, yeah. and we also have Good Time. This is directed by Benny and Josh. Safety, that's also now available on VOD, so you can check out both of these movies immediately. We'll also be going over some new releases. What we've been watching on the watch list, video on demand, Blu-ray stuff. But first, got a big announcement to make. We're doing a new thing on the site. This is launching as you're hearing this. So today, when you when you're listening to this, it will have it will be live. We're doing a a new feature called Film Pulse Selects. What this is is this is an online film festival that we're organizing that will basically be a a curated collection of new indie films. We're going to do short films and features, documentary and narrative, and we are going to... I mean, we've published... uh, We've done premieres before on the site, and... What I want to do is more of them. I want to do more, not just premieres, but just have an outlet where independent filmmakers can show their, their films and not have to pay crazy fees to, to get into a festival or you know get lost in the shuffle. This is going to be focusing on low budget and micro budget indies, and we're going to get it all organized. We're going to give out awards. It's going to be a great time. I'm really excited for it. So if you have a film that you are shopping around at festivals, be sure to go to filmpulseselects.com. All the guidelines are there and there's going to be links to submit your films. We uh, are using Submittable and Film Freeway. So whichever is your preferred method of submission, you can use either one and put it in. We can't guarantee that all the films that we get are going to be in the festival because like I said, we are going to be heavily curating this. It's, it's going to be very specific. Uh, so, but by all means, submit your stuff. I, I really look forward to, to seeing what comes in. So that's available now. Again, that's film pulse selects. Uh, you can get there from our regular site at filmpulse.net or go to film Everything's going to be interlinked and all of that stuff. And I'm sure that I'll be putting, Plugs ahead of uh, the the shows and stuff, uh, promoting this as well. So if you know anyone who is a filmmaker who made a short film, you want to get out there. Be sure to to go to the site, and we're we're doing full write ups for each one. Each film will get a laurel, and um, there's also a possibility for like interviews, Q and A's, podcast spots, all that stuff. Uh, also, one thing that I plan on doing for our patreon subscribers i plan on releasing the movies early for our patreons so we're gonna have a a release schedule for the movies and then any of our patrons will be getting those releases early uh i I didn't even know yeah that's that's still in the early stages i don't have that as a perk just yet on the patreon page um just because the we're so early in the launch of this, I want to make sure that I have all my ducks in a row with the actual festival before we start getting into those things. But that is something I plan on doing. We're also going to be starting up a newsletter that goes along with this that will highlight upcoming releases. contain It'll contain interviews and things like that. So you can look forward to uh, getting that as well. That you can sign up for on the, uh, the website. There's a link in the sidebar where you can just pop in your email. You won't be getting any kind of spam from us. We won't do that. We won't bombard your inbox with newsletters, like, every day or anything like that. I'm thinking, like, maybe weekly, but most likely, like, a, a bi-weekly or even a monthly thing for that. There you go. I would say I would go monthly. It's just... Yeah, I mean, it's just... That's just my two cents. It's just too much. Like, uh, I get some emails that are, like, weekly newsletters and stuff, and you just... After a while, you just delete, you know? Mm-hmm. So... It, yeah, they, it won't be bad. So, you again, you can sign up for the newsletter right now on our website. Just go to filmpulse.net. It's on the sidebar. I believe it's the last link uh, on the sidebar right now, but you'll see a little email thing there. You can just plop it in and stay up to date on all the releases that we have planned for this new platform. Let's get into our first review of the day. I'm thinking Blade of the Immortal.
1: Sure. Why not?
0: Yeah. Let's do let's do Blade of the Immortal. So this is uh, directed by Takeshi Miike. This is his one hundredth film. <laughs> oh, that's insane! Yeah, it is.
1: It's insane to think. Oh my goodness, it's... I just saw the poster for the first time.
0: Yeah. This. Which which one? The one that's on IMDb. Yeah. What a badass poster, huh?
1: Oh my! Oh my goodness! Yeah, I want it. That is ridiculous. I
0: want it. I want that poster real bad. <laughs> I have a synopsis here for this. Manji, a highly skilled samurai, becomes cursed with immortality after a legendary battle. Haunted by the brutal murder of his sister, Manji knows that only fighting evil will regain his soul. He promises to help a young girl named Rin avenge her parents who were killed by a group of master swordsmen led by ruthless warrior Anatsu. The mission will change Manji in ways he could never imagine. The 100th film by master director Takeshi Miike. 100 films. It's so wild. Like, I remember remember way back in the day when we first discovered him, and I'm wondering how many he had by that point. Probably 50. I
1: love the fact that I just looked this up, that he is one year younger than my father. (laughs) There
0: you go. So he's made hundred. So, so next time you go home, you can go, Dad. Takeshi Miike made a hundred movies, and he's a year younger than you. What have you accomplished with your life? <laughs> Just stick it to him.
1: Oh my god.
0: Mm. Uh, yeah, I think I think Ugh. we probably got into him. Maybe he he probably had fifty under his belt by that point. Well, that's the thing. Like you said, a hundred
1: of them up right now. There are so many movies that I didn't even hear anything about. Yeah. I think uh, maybe... The Lion Standing in the Wind? Never heard of it. Uh, Yakuza Apocalypse? Maybe? Terraformers? uh, uh,
0: Yakuza Apocalypse we reviewed on the site. So, yes. You heard of Yakuza Apocalypse? (laughs) (laughs) See, that's the other downside of making 100 movies. Not all of them are memorable. We liked that. That was the that okay, was, the, yeah. one the, was the, the one with the the, the, the person in the, the frog, suit. Yeah, the frog suit. Yeah, there we go. Okay. I think I think maybe we hopped on the the Takeshi bandwagon when Audition came out. Probi- probably around that time. I think we were think even before that. I I don't know. I mean, I'm looking at what he released before Audition and. I don't know if I saw any of these. We were getting, we were
1: getting things from eBay. It came out and we were super stoked.
0: Yeah, I mean, I I,
1: I just it was right around the time that we just started getting into.
0: Yeah, because re- I, I remember I remember I bought I bought the Dead or Alive trilogy in like it was on on eBay and I got all three Dead or Alive movies and then. What was the other one that he released? Oh, City of Lost Souls. I was a big fan of that one. Mm -hmm. That one was awesome.
1: And and I picked up uh, Ichi the Killer.
0: Yeah, that was... was ridiculous. Yeah, Ichi was after... That was after Audition. Because Audition was
1: 99. 99? Yeah. Pretty serious.
0: Happiness of the Katakuris was 2001. Agitator, I remember that one. That was 2001. So that, that's around, those movies are, are when we got into it. Like the, I'd say 99, yeah, you're right. 99 to 2002, 2003, because Gozu was 2003. Honestly, I, I maybe I'm biased or maybe I have some nostalgia for it, but I still think that that era was, those were his best movies, I think. Graveyard of Honor. Oh Yeah. This is him going back to the Samurai film. He's done quite a few Samurai films over the years. Did 13 Assassins, which was uh, pretty great. And uh, this... Oh, Thirteen Assassins is unbelievable.
1: Yeah. That movie is unbelievable.
0: Yeah. I mean, I still think Audition is my f- my favorite theory. of his, but, you know. Yeah, yeah. Herakiri. What did you think of uh, Blade of the Immortal? I love how ridiculous it is. I
1: appreciate that, like right off the bat, this movie's just ridiculous,
0: yeah, it definitely it definitely plays up the humor pretty early on, so that you know this is not an entirely uh serious endeavor yeah, that we're about to which, be getting into,
1: which is interesting because when the way that it starts off it's the it's the black and white it's you know it's a period piece it the way that it's shot looks it looks like an old time samurai movie, yeah, I mean it feels. Very much like an old old time samurai movie, but you have that humor in there, and then you have pretty early on, within you know ten minutes maybe, of this guy killing hundreds of people, just
0: hundreds. Yeah, just an absolute massacre. Is it is it more than a hundred? Because don't doesn't he get the nickname? Doesn't he get the nickname? And it's like the hundred man killer, the hundred killer, the hundred killer, the hundred killer. He just
1: Like, it's, and I mean, that's the way that it kicks off. Oh, yeah. So you were introduced where it's just like, okay, this is going to be, we're not taking this too seriously, and there's just going to be a shit ton of bloodshed. The body count is so high that I don't think there, I don't think you can calculate one.
0: I think at one point, at one point in this movie, there's an entire army that dies. An entire (laughs) army dies. And you see the battlefield just littered with corpses. And at that moment, I thought to myself, this has to have the highest body count of any movie in existence. It has to. Like, it's insane, the amount of people that die in this movie. If you've seen 13 Assassins,
1: which is, if you haven't, you must. It's it's absolutely spectacular. But with 13 Assassins, it was this, like, huge buildup of this, you know, final showdown where it was just this absolute massacre, you know, just a huge body count, right? And so Blade of the Immortal is kind of like that, but they do that within the first 10 minutes, and then they do it again later.
0: And it's even bigger later.
1: Yes. (laughs) Interestingly— There's actual actual rivers of blood.
0: (laughs) Yeah, it's, 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 it's insane. It is absolutely insane the amount of violence in this movie. It is much, I mean, I knew, I knew what the movie was about and I knew that it was going to be pretty violent, but he just goes, he goes balls out in the lumber yard on this one. Should big uh, time. Uh, the, interestingly, the big fights were not my favorite part of the movie. I, I liked the, the one-on-one stuff when he was fighting, uh, I can't remember the name of the of the like, the clan that they were from. They're the fencers, the fencing school. Oh, uh, the uh, was it like Idu Ryu? Yeah, yeah. How it's pronounced, but I could write it down for you. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, that really helps in a podcast. But <laughs> anyway, the the sort of the main bad guys that he was going after. Uh, I liked those one on one fights the most because. They were just interesting. like each mini boss had their own weapon and their own personality and their own abilities. I always liked that in in any type of uh, like martial arts movie that you have yeah. when you have those yeah. those unique fights. Um, the big battles, I thought, were just less interesting. They were cool at first. like it, they they all started off really cool. And you're just like, holy shit! Look at all these people that he's got to go through, and like, how's he ever going to make it through this? But then eventually, it gets so messy that yeah, it's just a cacophony of violence that is you can't really tell even what's going on at times. No, it's 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 just, just I and
1: I I tweeted this where it's
0: it just becomes a sea of
1: flailing arms, the sword noises. So you have all the clinking and whatnot and screaming. It just becomes like at first you're right where it's just like, holy shit, the scope of this, this is incredible. Look at everyone he has to go through. Oh my God, this guy's a beast. But like a minute into it, you're just like, okay, I can't really tell what's going on. Like there's just swords everywhere. People are falling to the ground. And the way that this is kind of set up where, I mean, he's immortal. So you're just like, okay, he's not going to die. It's just he's gonna kill all these people. Like, do we need to make this so drawn out?
0: Yeah, th- and that that was kind of the, one of the issues I had was that it the length. A lot of these fight scenes are so long, and some of them are pretty satisfying, but others are you're just like, oh my god, it's never gonna end. It just keeps yeah. going and going. And like, I don't know, maybe too much of a good thing is yeah. is not not such a good thing, you know? Like. And for me, I don't, you know, and although
1: I think at 13 Assassins, he did the the big um, the big fight type thing really well. I don't think anyone has really um, surpassed it from uh, the Sword of Doom from 1966, where like at the end, it's just an all out chaos, just mowing down people left and right, and it was. When you see it here, like the first time I said, you know, at the beginning of the movie, you're like, oh shit, okay, it really sets the tone. And then you kind of have this, like you said, where the the fights in between, you know, through the middle section are more rewarding than the two big time, big scope type deals. Yeah. It's kind of, I mean, it's impressive to think of like, okay, that many extras with all the, you know, that's costumes and the makeup and everyone, the, the way to you know, choreograph that and to film it like it's really impressive. But the actual end
0: product is like, eh. that's it. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. When you first when he first comes up against the army, you're like, oh, my God, there's like uh, literally a thousand people here. I mean, it just there is a sea of people. Yeah. And it, I, I mean, I don't think it was there was like CG people added or anything like that. I mean, it was like literally just hundreds and hundreds of people and you're in fairly tight quarters where this, where this battle took place. It's like in this kind of wooded area, but there were like people standing on top of like structures and stuff and they're just everywhere. And you're just like, Oh my God. And then sometimes there were a few moments of clarity in the battles where you kind of get to see the scope of what's going on and that was impressive the fact that they had so many people involved in this involved in shooting this and like each person you know i'm sure had their own specific role like guy number 347 that gets his face slashed off but it, it all it all worked together nicely but it was like like we discussed before it was just it was so long it was so drawn out and a lot of times it was it was difficult to even really see what was happening
1: yeah. and i what i loved in the in-between battles where he's kind of doing these one-on-one things where he's getting the revenge for rin is how he uses his immortality to his favor where He's not that great of a fighter.
0: Well, see, that's the thing. At this This, point. Yeah, this is something I wanted to discuss. Because at the beginning, before he was immortal, he took on 100 dudes, including, like, the best guy in the group or whatever. Like, the leader of the group. And you're just like, holy shit, this guy is a badass. But then after he becomes immortal, it's like, "Ah, he let himself go a little bit. You know, he's, like, (laughs) like, using his immortality as a crutch, where he's just sloppy. And he doesn't really care, like, oh, this guy just chopped off my arm whatever <laughs> like yeah. so it, it is. it's it's kind of funny in that regard where he just he doesn't
1: care anymore yeah because in the first fight dude gets his eye cut out gets his hand chopped off it still is able to vanquish you know 100 plus 100 plus then it gets the blood worms and you know he's been alive forever like i guess at this point in time it's just he's just kind of tired of it like does he really need to
0: stay in shape yeah, he just, know, he wants to fighting. die. He's like, he's like the other the other guy that they meet along the way. He just wants to die. He just wants it to be over. Well, and I love how he uses that for like the first two fights, where
1: you kind of think to yourself, like, why don't you just use that right off the bat? Like, the guy stabs you through the heart with a sword, and of course he's got like stay close and be like, uh, I've won. You suck. All that trash talking shit, and then you just like you know kill the guy. You get him close by letting him think that he's killing you, and then you kill him. Like that's pretty much what he does every time. Yeah, at it the seems end, like he's yeah. using a lot of energy that he doesn't have to. Like he doesn't have to block anything. That's true. Just just take it, take the hits.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh my god, he he gets do, uh,
1: he gets. I do love the, the one fight that he gets like
0: all of his limbs cut off. Yeah. <laughs> yep that happens uh, which th- that reminds me of another point the the dialogue in this I liked a lot actually I thought it was really it's really funny because the dialogue is not like it's somewhat of the of that era like it tries to stay somewhat historical mm-hmm. in in their dialogue but other times they'll just completely break and it'll sound like they're they have more of a, a contemporary Dialect to them like there's just certain Things that he says because he's kind of a funny Character and there's certain things That he says that feel Very 21st Century to me And that could be that this is Based on a manga series I've never I haven't read it so I'm not Sure how How much of it's been sort of a direct Translation over from the manga I'm not Sure but it does very much feel Kind of like a
1: like a comic Book movie
0: oh yeah Definitely. This just made me think, like, I would love to see a live-action Samurai Champloo movie. Like, I feel like they could do it and have it look really cool and not just don't have it be like a lot of these live-action anime adaptations where they try to make it look a lot like the anime and it just feels, like, silly and kind of cartoony. Like, I feel like if if they made Champloo look gritty well, and real i think it'd be cool that's the other thing about this movie which was
1: it's really interesting to see from the, uh a lot more at the beginning <clears throat> like through the middle kind of and a lot more at the end where it has this really it has this classic feel like the cinematography this looks like a classic samurai movie mm-hmm. where like it is artfully done yeah but it is completely ridiculous which yeah. is just a really, <laughs> it's really interesting to see that like contradiction, of just being a a comic book movie where it is just balls to the wall, ridiculous amounts of CGI blood, which the CGI blood in this actually didn't look too bad Not, comparatively speaking. I thought it looked good. Of, yeah. yeah, from a lot of the other movies that we've seen, and then that couple that with you know the classic uh, cinematography that you usually see.
0: I thought that the story was pretty ridiculous. The, the, I, I like revenge stories and I thought that that aspect of the plot was fine. But just if you take a step back and look at what caused the revenge to need to happen, you're just like, what? This guy's going around to all the dojos and trying to fight and kill all of the, the people in the dojo so that his fencing school can be the best one. Is that, is, am I, did I misinterpret no, that or was, I mean? It's did funny. I miss something there? No, it's
1: kind of, it's a lot like, uh, cause isn't that pretty much the basis of Yip Man? Sort of, yeah. But it, like, they're going around to, they're, they're like, and, and that's kind of like the thing. You have all these schools of samurais, right? So if you think, if you want to showcase that you're the best, obviously you're going to have to walk in, waltz into, you know, another samurai school and be like, all right. I challenge you, take down all the competition. Who's left you? But it it did feel kind of lacking in that sense, where they touch upon it a little bit, but they never really seem to delve below surface level of like, okay, this girl wants revenge. What's the cost of revenge? But they don't really do anything there with that because it's just like they, they, you know, thousands and thousands of people die so they can kill one person. <laughs> yep. And even then, it's like, yo, know, I mean, it's, the store is not good. Let's just be honest. It's not a good
0: store. It's no, it's, it's really kind of base level. You're really in it for the, for the action in this, yeah. which is, to be fair, is almost, it's almost nonstop. It's almost unending amounts of yeah. action. So I think that for me, the biggest thing would be you can make it a little bit tighter, a little bit
1: of a leaner runtime. Because they spend a lot of time, like you know, the in between fight, you know, discussing revenge and stuff, but they never really go anywhere with it. They never really dig
0: deep. Yeah, I mean, they they, they started developing the relationship between Manji and Rin, and I thought they did a decent job of that. Where she was, she basically looked exactly like his his daughter, so he sort of took a liking to her. Or yeah, I'm sorry, his sister. And uh, so he took took a liking to her. It was played by the same actress. Yeah. And that's why he d- agreed to become her bodyguard. Now, Wish, why wouldn't you? I mean, you're immortal. I J- mean, well, J- yeah. J- what else is, else is he going to do? He's just hanging <laughs> out in a crappy shack doing nothing. <laughs> eating jerky. Doing nothing with his Stick. life. Yeah, of course.
1: I mean, he's been alive for, like, what, 50 50- tacked on to the original life. He was probably like 30 when he died. It's been like 80 years.
0: Yeah. yeah. What? I read something about that he had to kill and I might have missed this when I watched it, but I read that he has to like kill. Yeah. He must defeat a thousand evil men to free himself. Was that in Um, there? Did I miss that? I didn't see it anywhere in the movie. Maybe that's in the original, uh, in the manga. Yeah,
1: yeah,
0: because in the movie, the
1: only thing that, that is that poison that the guy got from Tibet that weakens the bloodworms. Mm-hmm. And that if you use enough of it, but it really had no discussion of, like, any other way of freeing yourself from this curse.
0: Yeah. It's it's, it's just interesting. Uh, maybe there must be something in the manga then. It has to be. Because they didn't really get into it in the movie. I mean, there's... It, Two
1: hours and twenty minutes, but essentially what I just told you is how deep they go into the, <laughs> the folklore <Yeah>. of
0: <laughs> this curse. I was never but really they... sure of the motivations of the the woman that cursed him either. Yeah, and I and, could... and, and I wasn't really sure how her powers worked because she just seemed to be able to teleport wherever she needed to be, and she seemed to she seemed to be all knowing. Like she knew maybe there was some sort of connection with the blood worms or something where she knew exactly. Where they were, and what they were doing, and how to get to them. Yeah. I mean, there's not a lot of
1: info going on here. She just says she has, like, bloodworms in a bag, I guess, that she's able to throw in, which I think you would be doing this more often, utilizing bloodworms. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe maybe there's a limited supply of them. I don't know. You know, if you're fighting, I think if you were trying to fight evil, you would utilize bloodworms a little
0: more frequently. Yeah, you just got to be careful, though. You got to make sure you're giving them to the right person. Because I feel like bloodworms in the wrong hands could be a disaster.
1: Oh, yeah, definitely. But then you have the Tibetan poison, so should be able to offset it. And you would think that she knows about the Tibetan poison. She can teleport everywhere.
0: Yeah. I don't know. There's so many questions. So, so, many, so many interesting <laughs> questions around the logic behind... The logic and lore of Blade of the Immortal.
1: Yeah, which... Let's be honest, Takeshi Mieke is not He doesn't give a fuck. He's, <laughs> he's like, not He's not one for like okay, this needs to be reasonable. Yeah. We gotta utilize some logic here.
0: I I I'm just the the I just had visions of Ichi the killer, the, the ejaculate. <laughs> <Nah>. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I, mean,
1: I mean it's it's Miyake, and that's kinda of what you want going in like I want this to just be out, outright ridiculous and it is especially the way that it ends with that last line and then like the music cue
0: yeah it was awesome yep it was awesome i had a good i had a pretty good time with blade of the immortal uh i didn't love it i expected to love it but i still think it was solid and worth a look uh, i think i will score this one a 7 out of 10
1: okay i was thinking like a 6 and a half something I, much like you where i enjoyed it But as a whole, you know, it's kind of a little bit repetitive, especially with that last fight scene where it just, I appreciate it and I respect it. But at the same time, viewing it as an audience member, it's just, it was, it was a bit repetitive. Yeah, it
0: got a little bit long in the
1: tooth. Yeah. Especially like after a while, you're just like, I can't really tell what you guys are
0: doing. I don't know how (laughs) many of you are still alive. I don't know when this is ever going to end. You just—you're
1: just, you're all getting slashed,
0: and they That's, all look. Just... See, the thing was like all the soldiers—they—they they all kind of looked the same. Like they all had the same outfits, and many of them had the same haircut. They all had yeah. swords, so there wasn't a whole lot of variety in the enemy types there. Yeah, he was just and mowing the, like, through all, them, and... and they're all terrible. Yeah, like they're just terrible. They're all scared which is, shitless,
1: <laughs> which is one of the things that I've never quite understood about. Samurai movies, like when I watch these fights, it's just like there's so many times where the guy is open, like just stab, just, just stick the sword out.
0: I think they're all afraid.
1: They're all afraid that, I think there's either like if they're afraid, or there's some sort of like
0: like rules, like, like a code to combat. There was yeah. he actually it's just like he actually yes. um in the movie he comments on that. He goes, "What you're all gonna attack me at once or something like that?" Like it was sort of a faux pas. It yeah, was. It wasn't which, the army that scene. It was like he was fighting another, um, yeah, small group of people. Which
1: I mean, if you're gonna if you're gonna break that rule and do more than one at a time, just break the rules even further and just stab the guy when his back's turned. There's forty of you
0: standing behind him. I think all you have to do is extend the sword. I think what what was going through their heads? They're all, they're standing around him in a circle. He's ready. He is ready to chop arms and heads and. You're one of the soldiers in the circle and you're thinking, "Well, I'm not going. He can go. I'm I'm not going. He's I know wait, if I wait. go he's going to cut me. I'm not going."
1: Well, if it was me in this situation, I would have like <laughs> I'd be at slinked. home. <laughs> I would have <laughs> slinked back. I'd be under the bridge like, "Okay, everything's everyone's occupied." And then I just would have bounced and like walked through the woods. Yeah. It's, I mean, there's so many people. There's so much activity. You could easily just waltz out of there and no one has any idea. No one's going to be like, "Dude, where's Kevin?"
0: Maybe. The the only problem with that is if you get caught, they they probably kill you for being a deserter. Yeah. True. But they all died anyway. So. <laughs> yeah, they did. Yep. <laughs> they definitely did all die. <laughs> Many of them in very gruesome ways. That's right. So that's Blade of the Immortal. That's available now on video on demand. Uh I rented this on iTunes actually. You can you can see it on there. It's like seven bucks or something in H D, so Give it a look. Let's move on and talk about Good Time. This is written and directed. I'm sorry. It's directed by Josh and Benny Safdie. It's written by Josh Safdie and Ronald Bronstein. I have a synopsis here. After a heist goes awry, a bank robber spends the night trying to free his mentally ill brother from being sent to Rikers Island prison. Stars old Robert Pattinson. Oh, yeah. Benny Safdie's in there. What a performance by him, by the way. We'll both both of them. Both of them really. Jennifer Jason Lee's in there. And my favorite, Necro. As soon as Necro showed up, I was like, there he is. <laughs> <laughs> I was wondering. And
1: there he is. I just need so, I want so badly for so you know like some interviewer to just I need to know what what it is with the Softy brothers and Necro. Ah, they must be they must be pals. Must be like, were they fans beforehand? The big nonfiction fans, right? He's
0: from nonfiction. Right? I, I think so. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. They were just like, I, we I, have to, we have to
1: get Necro in our movies.
0: <laughs> I don't know. I don't know what it is. I appreciate that he's there, though. So good time. I loved Heaven Knows What when that came out, <laughs> and so I had pretty high hopes for this one. I heard a lot of good things. Gave it a look. And, uh, yeah, I, I pretty much loved it. This is definitely an Adam movie through and through. This is the way you were building that up. You thought thought I was was going to, yeah. Well, I thought you were going to drop it on me. No, 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 definitely, definitely loved this movie. Everything from the, uh, the cinematography, you know, this is shot on film. I think it looks amazing. The, the title cards got, I always have to give a shout out to good title cards. And I was a big fan of the title cards on this, the music. Was pretty awesome. I was a big fan of the music performances across the board. Uh, f- it felt you know it, it felt like heaven knows what. It it definitely had that same vibe to it where everything you have this kind of hyper real environment where a lot of the actors seem like non actors. I I don't know if they. I feel like some of those people had to be non actors. I would be surprised. Right? But everything. I just I loved the the kinetic pace of this movie, where you had that small opening scene where Benny Safdie's introduced and he's being interviewed by I guess he's like a a social worker maybe or a psychologist I think he's a social worker and um, you have that small that interview there real tight you know close close up shots and then you go re- from that which is a relatively quiet scene to the the heist which that whole heist sequence i thought was incredible and from that moment it's like the the movie the film moves at this sort of breakneck pace uh at, at throughout the whole thing and i i was i was a big fan of this
1: all right i was a little bit let down I gotta say like I, this is this is a tough one for me because there's a lot of things that i appreciate a lot of things that I respect in this movie, but just, like, overall, as an experience, it's just kind of like, what was the point of this? It's like, it's it's kind of, a, it's tight filmmaking, but to what end? Like, to me, it's just the actual, like, the story itself, what it's dealing with is just so inconsequential to me. Where It's just, to me, there's nothing there. There's no meat to it. But everyone did a fantastic job. The only thing that I had like a slight problem with was the music. To me, the music was just there's certain aspects of it that I enjoyed, but two things to me is to me it was a bit overbearing. Like it was kind of constant, which I kind of understand where they you know it's kind of this uh, this suffocating music, right? They
0: were like you said, there's this constant
1: momentum happening. Yeah, so I can kind of understand that. But at the same time, like, the the volume level to it was just a bit too much for me. To me it, it, to me, it came across as distracting instead of actually, like, adding to the film. Okay. So, I mean, like, the score is good, but the implementation of it, I thought, was just a little bit off. And I got to say, like, right off the bat with that interview, because I didn't know anything about this movie going in, except for the people that are in it. Right, So I really didn't know what the hell this thing was about. So it starts off with the interview and Benny Safdie as soon as he opens up his mouth I'm just like what the fuck is this? What's he doing? What is this character? (laughs) (laughs) And I was just so confused for like the first like 10 minutes or whatever. I'm just like is he doing what I think he's doing? Is he playing a mentally disabled person?
0: Yeah but he's also he seems to be uh at least partially deaf. And I think that that's, yeah. that's why he had, yeah. why he spoke like that.
1: Which, and I think, I think that that portion of it took me a little bit of time to like work through. Cause I wasn't prepared for that. I had no idea that that was an aspect of the movie. And then that's what Benny Safdie was going to be doing. So it took me quite a while to work through that. And I kind of, and I do understand why they want that route. It makes sense to me.
0: But also he's, he's not in it that much. It's no, it, I mean, which much, I think a, a big portion of the movie is Robert Pattinson trying to find him. Yeah. Which to me, that
1: was, I think that was also kind of a, a detriment where you're kind of introduced to him first. And then even in the, the, the heist, it's kind of centered around him and his role. And then the rest of the movie, he's gone, which yes, it makes sense that, okay, we're now we're in, with Robert Pattinson we're trying to get him back. But at the same time, he's kind of introduced as the best part of the movie and then he's gone.
0: Well, I think that the, the first scene was introducing him as I, I think that that was to develop, to, to show his character and show his state of mind and everything. And then the, the other scenes were meant to show their, the bond that they have so that it would be, more believable that he's going through these lengths to get his brother back. Yeah. I think that that's what they were going for with that. I do love that. uh, So there's, there's a case of mistaken identity that, that happens. And I love that they, that he grabs who he believes is his brother, brother, but it's, it's played by uh, buddy duress. Duras, yeah, because I was so happy. because I I literally get the two of those mixed up uh, all the time, so I thought it was so perfect <laughs> that that he was he played that character. Yes, but I also thought that he was he was awesome, and I think that dude is is great in everything he's in. I think Duras
1: is like a he's a fucking superstar.
0: He was so he was like, so funny in this too. By all, I, all three. Yeah, and that was the other thing. It's, like, I was thankful that there was a solid amount of comedy in this. I, I I would definitely wouldn't call it a comedy by any stretch. It's pretty, no, it's pretty dour. But uh, I was <laughs> thankful that there were sort of those moments, those those small moments of humor that that kept things from being way too dark and depressing. Yeah, because I feel like heaven knows what was it was just such a downer like the whole movie you just hated life after oh yeah heaven knows what and then this one it, it's it's pretty horrible a lot of the things that happen in it but there were at least a few moments to to brighten it up a bit
1: i would say emphasis on few
0: <laughs> yeah
1: very few they're there you just have you have a big time manipulator and connie which a pretty solid performance from Robert Pattinson. I mean, pretty much performances of all around.
0: Yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. I mean, Jennifer Jason Lee, very small role, but she she was perfectly cast for that role. Corey, her name was in the movie. She seemed high maintenance.
1: And Barkhad uh,
0: Mm hmm. It's good to see him again. Yeah, he's that. That's what I said. I was like, "Well, I'm glad that he has a career. Like he's he's been in he's been in some good stuff. Two big ones this year too. Yeah, good time Blade Blade Runner 2049. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'm glad to see that he continues to get work. That's I think that's that's great. Because I thought he was great in Captain Phillips. Uh, yeah. I uh, what was, I gonna say, those are about Robert Pattinson. Oh. The thing I liked about Robert Pattinson's character, Connie, was that he was such a good social engineer. Like, you know, the the whole movie is about him being put in these just bad situation after bad situation, and he's so clever that he always seems to figure out a way out of the situation that he's in, even though it may put him in sort of a worse position, I, I was... I was I was so impressed by a lot of the the things that he did to get what he wanted or to to go where he needed to go. Mm. He's a badass. He's a badass social engineer. I guess.
1: I mean, I thought that to me a lot of the situations were a bit just a bit too much for me. Where it's just like, well, I don't think this guy's that good. Like, I do not think. Connie's nothing. Nothing you've shown me about Connie tells me that he's smart enough to make any of this stuff work and i mean ultimately it doesn't but he makes it work for far too long especially with like the you know everything in the hospital and then when they get out of the hospital
0: yeah it's just like i don't know i thought for sure he was gonna get caught in that in that scene but
1: yeah uh i think think you have to implement a, a decent amount of uh you know suspension of disbelief here a little bit, but Wait, this is like, yeah, I don't think so.
0: But all right. Well, we'll. I'll, I'll just buy in. I'm gonna. I'm gonna talk about it. I'll, I'll talk about it next when we go into the watch list. But uh, I read that this is sort of, um, sort of a, a reinterpretation of of uh, Scorsese's uh, After Hours, which I watched this week. Oh, okay. And Let's if see. if you look at it in that light, you you can see the influence there. Uh, Cause it's the, the yeah. there's a lot of similarities, but mm. we'll get into that in a minute. Uh, See, that's interesting because like I'm coming at, it, I have I've
1: never seen that movie. So I'm coming at this from like, I'm seeing it as a, a wholly original film. So if I knew that going in, like if I saw the other movie beforehand, that would definitely affect things. Cause I wouldn't be seeing it.
0: Obviously I wouldn't be seen in this as like, Oh, this is an original film. It's an original voice. It, it is. I mean, I don't think this is like an, this isn't like an explicit remake or anything like that. I think that it just follows a lot of the same sort of yeah. beats. And I, I think that they, they handle it really well. Um, the, I want to talk about the cinematography, the, uh, when, when the heist scene takes place, I immediately knew like the, the visual style of this movie was definitely something that was within my wheelhouse. And the like the dye pack scene, like when that happens, mm-hmm. it was awesome. I, I just loved everything, how everything is just pink and red. It's sort of bathed in neon. It does. I mean, it looks
1: good. I mean, I don't know if I could ever watch a movie that's Sean Price Williams cinematography and holy hate it. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, I think there's always that. Because even like Queen of Earth was like disappointing to me, but because of his cinematography, I'm still like oh, like a six. Yeah, like, I don't know <laughs> if I can ever go below a six if he's the cinematographer.
0: Yeah, like, I don't know if that's possible. Yeah, it looked awesome. Thought it looked awesome. Um, anything else? Any any other thoughts? Uh, nah, I can't wait to see what the Safety brothers do next. I'm wondering. I'm wondering if this movie will open a door for them to bigger Hollywood productions. And I'm wondering if maybe that's already happened. Maybe they're not Mm -hmm. interested in doing something like that, but I feel like this movie is definitely bringing them closer to the limelight. And I'm just wondering what, like what they would do if they had a giant budget for a movie.
1: I think honestly, and I I mean, obviously it could be wrong. This is just purely speculative. But to me, I see this as, like, as big as they'll go. Because it is, I mean, it's pretty big, um, and, you know, decent-sized budget. You know, you, like, a quarter of the film is helicopter shots. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what... You the- know what I mean? Like, I don't know if I ever, ever, like, back when I was watching Daddy Longlegs in 2009, I, I don't know if I was thinking, you know, you know what? In 2017, they're going to make a film with a shit ton of helicopter
0: shots. Yeah, well, there's certainly maybe they used drones. Could have been drones that they used. Would have been could have been. Would have been cheaper. I don't it's know. Though. I think I think you're right. though. I think they are helicopter shots. Anyway, um, using that patent and money. <laughs> I mean, I mean, cer- certainly this is their biggest production to date, uh, oh, by, yeah. by a long shot. I mean, even heaven knows what was pretty small scale in comparison to this. There were a lot more special effects and. There was some stunt work done on this that looked really good, uh, especially that at the end. So I think it's definitely oh, yeah. their biggest movie to date. I'm wondering, I really am wondering if they're going to go bigger with it. If, if Hollywood's come a knocking yet and if, if they'll answer that door and if so, what, what they're going to, what they're going to do with that. It'll be interesting to see. I, I'll I'm, I'm really, I'm really excited to see what they have coming up next. Cause, uh, between their last two movies, I mean, whew, they're hitting home runs for me. Yeah. All right, good time, Kevin. What are you going to give it?
1: I give it like the six and a half, seven.
0: All right, I'm going to go with an eight on this seven. one. Oh, going with the eight. Yep. That's kind of what I was thinking for you. Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty much loved it. Definitely one of I my. Figured. Definitely one of my top movies of the year so far. I think I was. I think I was literally like five minutes into
1: it. That's just like.
0: Evan loves this. It's so easy. I it. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> movies that you, it, it's very easy to pick out movies that I, that I'll be into. Like you just, you look at my top list on letterbox and stuff. It's, <laughs> I I definitely have specific things that I like in movies and it doesn't take much for me to, to be into them. Uh, all right, let's move on and talk about uh, someone we're watching on the watch list. I'll, kick it off i'll segue into after hours since since i uh gave this a look this was this came out in 1985 as i said it's written uh sorry it's directed by martin scorsese this one and if you notice the posters for good time and after hours the good the, the poster for good time is very clearly a a take on the after hours poster clearly so this stars griffin dunn as this data entry guy He's a word processor and All right, nice. yeah, just a word processor, you know, just a, a cog, just a cog in the machine. And one day he gets off work, goes to this diner and he ends up having the, a chance encounter with this woman played by Rosanna Arquette. And they sort of, they sort of hit things off a little bit and she, she gives him her number. He goes home, and he's like, you know what? I'm going to call this. I'm going to call this lady. Uh, We're going to see how this goes. So he calls her up, and she's like, oh, yeah, like come on on by my apartment. Because they had this conversation about how her roommate uh, makes these ceramic paperweights that are in the shape of bagels and cream cheese. So he decides he wants one of these paperweights for all his papers. So he goes over to their apartment. Things get a little a little weird. He kind of gets spooked with Rosanna Arquette, and he comes with a, with an excuse, and he leaves. And the the problem is he doesn't have a way to get back home because he was he took a cab there, and his money flew out of the cab window, so he didn't have any money. He had some change, and he tried to get on the subway, but the there was a fare hike that happened, a fare increase, and he didn't have enough money for the subway fare, so. <laughs> he doesn't have any money. So he's stuck in this neighborhood in Soho and sort of like good time. It's just one thing after another, after another, after another. And he keeps getting put in these like worse and worse and worse situations. So like he goes back to the apartment and Rosanna Arquette's dead. She killed herself after he left. And so he's like pretty shaken with that. And he tries to go find her roommate, and they're at this like punk club where they try to shave his head, and then he ends up meeting up with Catherine O'Hara, who plays uh Mr. Softy truck driver, and she's kind of she's kind of cuckoo. And then Cheech and Chong come into play, and they play these like burglars. It's it's uh it's pretty weird. It's definitely out there. Hmm. I'd call it madcap. Oh, I like anytime the. That- yeah, is used.
1: Mm-hmm. It looks. So now, now I'm wondering because Tommy Chong plays a guy named Pepe. Is that the reasoning of having Pepe the Frog? The L, the, L, the LCD,
0: yeah, or LCD, LSD. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe maybe it's a reference, or maybe it's a reference to uh, our current political climate. Who knows? It's probably reference to after hours. <laughs> it could be. be my guess. <laughs> Bronson Pinchos in it for one scene. Oh, yeah. yeah, sign me up, oh, man. He's only in it for one scene, but it's it's a good scene. Uh, the thing, so the thing that surprised me about this, there were there were a few surprises. I mean, the, the the film as a whole is a lot goofier and stranger than I expected it to be, and it's a lot funnier than I expected it to be too. Griffin Dunn is some of the stuff he says in this movie is absolutely hilarious and his reaction to some of the situations that he gets himself in. It's just, it's so good. Like, it's just so good. I can't believe that it took me this long to, to see this movie. And I, and I honestly think that one of the big reasons for me, not seeking this movie out before is that I never liked the cover. Uh, Cause it looked to me like one of these eighties rom-coms sort of. And I, mm-hmm. I, and I think that always kept me away for some reason, but, I see the poster now, and I and I I kind of like it. I have a new appreciation for it. Yeah, hey, I've been wanting to see this one for a while. Well, it's excellent. Always a good thing. Yeah, it is. Out there. It is excellent. I would highly recommend it. I would see. I would say check this out, and then see Good Time after, and you can definitely pick up on a lot of the similarities between the two.
1: Okay. All right. Uh, I only watched one other film. Been been. Uh been putting in a lot of work with the tv stuff with your with your twin Peaks season three and your in your new season of stranger things in your new season of curb your enthusiasm mm-hmm. you know got a lot of work to put in all right so i'm trying to make it work but i was able to see what for me right now would be the top film of the year oh which would be a bride for rip van winkle japanese film it's uh It's a doozy at three hours, talking three hour runtime here. It's quite a journey. We, we deal with a lot of things and the main character of this film, you know, you're in a good three hour movie when you're towards, you know, like you're in the third hour, right? And you just, you're kind of thinking back to the beginning parts of the film and it, it feels like a distant memory we you're just like the person that you're seeing now on screen, it's just so completely different than the person that you saw at the beginning of the movie. And you just feel like you've lived in the film itself. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. you've been a part oh, of yeah. that growth where it's like, holy shit, this is like, this was an experience. Yep. Like, man, we, we, we want places.
0: Yep. Hold on, hold on, on to that thought because that's exactly what I'm going to get into in my next movie. Okay. So,
1: That's what you have here. And this is just,
0: it has everything
1: in that three hours, too. Number one, you got two great performances at the center. Um, You have cinematography, which is just all-encompassing. Like, I mean, they utilize everything. There's handheld. There's shaky handheld. There's, you know, kind of like the, the, the gliding, like, just kind of like wandering handheld that's, you know, like really graceful and then you have the you know fixed shooting i mean different angles low angles camera sideways you got surveillance footage i mean you got like literally everything within this three hours i mean it's just it has everything you would want and it just it's really complex too within the you know the story of it of essentially it's she's it's the the main character is getting married she doesn't have enough family members for the ceremony, so she she has a, a a pseudonym online, and she kind of puts it out there like, "Oh, what's she gonna do?" And someone's like, "Oh, you can hire people." So she hires a bunch of actors to play the role of her family, so it doesn't look lopsided. And then these people just kind of keep getting hired to be in her life. So like throughout everything that's happening to her, you don't know if it's really like just something that's happened naturally and organically, or if someone's been hired to make this happen. And it just kind of like all these things keep happening to her and, keep, you know, pushing her in new directions. Is
0: she doing the hiring or someone else? She She starts off with
1: the hiring, but then other things happen. And then other things happen. And there's a couple of times where you have no idea and it's never explained who, who was hired, you know, or who did the hiring. Cause there's a huge thing that like completely changes their life and you don't know who, who was hired to do it. Interesting. You don't know if these people just went rogue or if like someone else did hire somebody she hired, hired somebody else. Yeah. Like you have no idea. Like they provide all these services. They do so many things. That's interesting. I'm going to, I'm going to have to give this a look. And then she ends up because she doesn't really have much, much opportunities for work. So she ends up playing the role too, like she's, she goes to weddings and she gets hired out to do other things. So it just becomes this like bizarre network of people like not having real identities, just doing services for other
0: people. Very interesting. Yes. Maybe I thought so as well. A sign of things to come, perhaps. Perhaps indeed. So that's uh, a bride for Rip Van Winkle. That's, that's playing in limited release right now. I think I think it's playing a tenor. I think it's playing in New York. 10 out of 10. Boom. You have a review for that up on the site as well. So if you want to read a written review, check it out. Uh, the the one that we'll circle back and the one that uh, I was actually going to mention, the exact same thing that you mentioned about character arcs and how the characters at the beginning of the film have completely changed in fundamental ways by the end, uh, is Three Billboards Outside Ebbing, Missouri. Oh, you bitch. So this is, uh, directed by Martin McDonough. I was a fan of his previous films. I was a fan of seven psychopaths. I loved In Bruges. This one, uh, it, it definitely feels like a McDonough film. If you're familiar with those, those two previous movies, it's, uh, it's equal parts comedy and tragedy. So it, it definitely blurs the lines between those two elements. Uh, it's about uh, Francis McDormand. If you're not familiar, this uh, I think there's a lot of buzz behind this movie. But if you're not familiar, Francis McDormand plays a grief-stricken mother who, after the brutal murder of her daughter, she sets up she she purchases she rents these three billboards, and on the billboards is a message basically calling out the police chief uh, for not doing anything. To solve this, this heinous crime that was committed. And when she sit, puts up these billboards, it causes a big stir throughout the community. It's a small town where they live. And the police chief, uh, played by Woody Harrelson, is held with very high regard. People love him in the town. He's, he's like a hero to them. And when you see him, you're like, he's a stand-up guy. Like, we're not dealing with awful an awful, corrupt police chief in, in this, like, he's actually an amazing person. And so people are outraged that these billboards exist. And it causes all kinds of uh, terrible and funny things to happen in this town. And just across the board, I'm not going to be surprised at all if this gets nominated for awards. Francis McDormand is absolutely incredible in this. Holy shit. Just give her an Oscar now. Because her character is so funny and she she's, she's got this, like, she's just so tough in it. But at the same time, there's these small moments that happen throughout the movie. that are just so tender and, and sweet in a way. Uh, same goes for, I mean, Woody Harrelson's incredible. Sam Rockwell's in it. He plays this sort of dopey deputy, mm-hmm. uh, he has a huge character arc. He, he turns out to be one of sort of the main characters of the film. And he's just, just amazing. John Hawks is in it. Peter Dinklage, Abby Cornish, Caleb Landry Jones is in it. And he's incredible. Nice. All star cast here. And they're all, every single one of them, even like John Hawks has a pretty minor role. Same with Peter Dinklage. Abby Cornish and Caleb Landry drones. So they, they all have pretty minor roles, but they all just knock it out of the park. And it's, it's just an amazing film. Like I can't recommend it highly enough. It's, it's one of these movies where when I came out of it, I was like, I, it was okay. I, I liked it felt long. And then I, I realized it's like less than two hours long, but it's one of these things where so much happens in that, mm-hmm. in that runtime that it just, it feels like you went through this epic journey with these with these people, yeah, and it's it's definitely one of my favorite movies of the year, and I would highly recommend seeing it again. Three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri. It is going to get a wide release, I think. Um, it's better didn't you said you said it was coming out in December? Yeah, but even then, I, that's only at, like one of my art house air
1: quotes art house theaters.
0: Oh, really? No, they're getting
1: it December first.
0: Hmm. So. I don't know. Well, hopefully it but gets. Hopefully it gets a wider release. Seem maybe it's like a just a slower rollout or something. But holy shit, I can't recommend it highly enough. It's it's great. Uh, the other one that I'll mention that that was it for you, right? <laughs> the The last one I'll mention this week was uh, Mayhem. This was directed by Joe Lynch. Briefly mentioned it last week. But uh, it it hadn't come out yet and I didn't want to talk too much about it. This is, it stars uh, Steven Yeun from Walking Dead. You'll know him as Glenn from Walking Dead. He plays this kind of uh, office drone who slowly makes his way up the ladder and he's in a pretty good position within his company. However, something happens where one of their clients, something falls through the cracks and... One of their clients basically gets burned and he gets thrown under the bus for it and they fire him. And on the same day that they fire him, a virus is unleashed in their office building that causes mm-hmm. everyone who's infected to, it, it basically uh, dampens, or no, it, it heightens the id and suppresses all the other aspects of their psyche. So it makes people... uh. All, all of their kind of um, inner thoughts and um, desires are... They, they have no control. They have no self-control at all. So people are like, yeah. you know, having sex with each other and murdering each other and beating each other up and doing awful things. Because there's no, like, impulse control on these people. Yeah. So they... The, the, the building gets quarantined and they... The CDC starts pumping in a vaccine or an, uh, you know something to counteract the virus. But problem is it's going to take like six hours for it to permeate throughout the building. So everybody in the building has to just deal with it and everybody gets infected. So th- that was kind of one of the interesting things about this is that even Steven Young and Samara Weaving, who are the, the two protagonists, um, even they're infected. So they, so they're kind of going, going nuts and sort of like a revenge story where they're going up floor, floor by floor, trying to reach the top where the CEO is to confront him and they have to get through all okay. of these kind of murderous employees and it's pretty fun. I I enjoyed it. It's similar in tone to the Belko experiment, which came out earlier this year, but it handles everything so much better than the Belko experiment. Just the humor, the violence, the, even the, the, the cinematography is better than what they had in the Belko experiment. So I, I would give it a look. I have a review for it up on the site. Again, that's called Mayhem, and then you can check that out on VOD. So there's some sweet nail gun action in it. I have that nail gun in there. Yeah. Nail gun. Big time comeback. Oh, yeah. Okay, let's talk about some new releases. Let's take a look at what we have in theaters coming out this week. The big one's Justice League. That comes out on the 17th. It looks so bad. I know. It looks looks awful. It really really looks awful. I might give it a look just because I'm such a, a Batman fanatic. I'm a pretty big fan of The Flash, too, but... We haven't really had ridiculous. a good representation of the Flash in in movies. The Flash TV show, it's starting to lose me, but I still watch it every week. <clears throat> this is a complete. I, I'm getting completely off topic, but have you watched any of the new season of Nathan for You, season four? No, I've never seen that show. Oh my god, Kevin! That I Nathan need. for You is that that is a show for you. Okay. You would. It is literally Nathan for me. Yeah, it, they, when they named wow. the show, they were specifically referring to Kevin Rakestraw. Wow, I didn't know that. You would love that show, <laughs> and I think it was last week was the season finale, and it was a two-hour season finale, and it was basically a documentary film, and it was so well made. I, I was so it, it wasn't really there, It wasn't even really a comedy. It, it wasn't really funny at all. It it was it was something completely different, and it was I was really impressed. Uh, so, if you guys haven't been checking out Nathan for you, it, it it's this season was incredible. We also have Wonder. This is the one with uh, Jacob Tremblay. Okay, he plays. Uh, he's like a maybe he's burned. He's like a burn victim. It's about him living living life. To the fullest. No thanks. No, not, not not for me. Mudbound. Heard a lot of good things about Mudbound. Yes.
1: I'm excited for this one. Yeah,
0: this is the one. Uh D Rees directed this one. Garrett Headland. I think that's gonna be on Netflix. So Ooh, okay. yeah, so everybody can check that one out. Wonderful. Roman J. Israel Esquire. It's is the one with Denzel Washington. Yeah. You know Looks like you're getting some solid Denzel right there. Yeah. Oh yeah. Big time. Looks looks really solid, Denzel. This is uh, written and directed by Dan Gilroy, the guy who did Nightcrawler. And that that's what makes me want to see it. Okay. Uh, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. We also have Sweet Virginia. It's uh I think that's like a crime thriller. Got the breadwinner yeah. animated film. No. No, thank you. No, that one's not for me either. Nope. This one's interesting. Cook Off. Now if you see the, the poster for <laughs> Cook Off. A, the poster is incredible. It looks like. Oh, yes. I, it oh, it yeah. looks like a straight to DVD movie that was made in 1998. That logo. And Melissa McCarthy looks like she's about 15 years younger uh, in this movie. Well, that's because this movie was made in 2007. That's right. Yep. That, that was going to be my next point. The movie came, was made in 2007, it's coming out <laughs> 10 years later. the tagline is let the flower fly i don't know why this is like because you would think when when melissa mccarthy hit her stride like after bridesmaids i would say and they and she started putting out tons and tons of movies you'd think that they would they would nestle it in there you know yeah right when she's she's hitting her peak something I don't know what happened there. Uh this is this looks so it looks so bad. I saw a trailer for it when I was trying to figure out what the hell it was and it just looks oh my god, it looks awful. Let's see what else we have here. Almost Friends. Uh it's a, like a romantic comedy. Revolt. Uh, it's a sci-fi movie. I think that's is that the one with uh yeah, with Lee Pace. It's one with Lee Pace. Okay. It looks pretty bad. <laughs> Generic, Mr. Roosevelt, indie comedy. I'm interested in that one. Destined, Big Sonia, Attack of the Killer Donuts. I'm gonna go there with that one. Holy Air, A Better Man, and uh, that's pretty much it. On VOD this week, we have It Happened in L.A. This this is on the 14th. Devil's Whisper, and then on the 17th we have Almost Friends and Jim and Andy the great beyond that's a netflix documentary about the making of uh, man in the moon yeah. which feels like uh maybe they should have released that like i don't know 20 years ago when the movie came out yeah, yeah. <laughs> seems a bit odd it, the, yeah man in the moon came out 18 years ago <laughs> what yeah anyway I think Mr. Roosevelt may also come out. I just don't have it on my list here, so I'm not sure. Blu-ray, this week we have Atomic Blonde. I know that we didn't do our our uh, scandal sexual misconduct talk at the beginning of the show, but I, I take it you heard that the one of the executive producers of that movie was uh, accused of some really awful things. I did not. He was straight up accused of rape. Um Okay. And it, from the details that I read, it seems absolutely horrific. So, you know, there's that, unfortunately. Uh, Wind River comes out. Arrow is releasing a Blu-ray called George A. Romero Between Night and Dawn. So it's a three-movie set that includes There's Always Vanilla, Season of the Witch, and The Crazies. Okay. So I guess it's the films he released between Night of the Living Dead and Dawn of the Dead. Yeah, right. Yeah, I would, I would check that out. Arrow always puts out good stuff. Let's see what else we have here. The, the Incredible Shrinking Woman is getting a Blu-ray release from 1981. Funeral Parade of Roses from 1969 getting a release. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, I think, uh, is it Sinalicious? I mean, yeah, Sinalicious yeah. is putting that out. That I movie mean, incredible. Hellraiser getting a steel book. Hell, you get that steel book. That's good. Diamond edition. Yeah, that's got a really cool looking. That steel book's pretty cool looking. The Psycho Collection coming out. Four, four, uh, four movies in that one. No thanks. Yeah, no. Nah. I mean, I like the original, but.
1: Yeah. He's just trying to suck you into buying the other three. I
0: ain't, I ain't falling for it. I've never seen any of the Psycho sequels. Why would you? I I don't know. I don't know if they're any good. I, I heard maybe, maybe one or two of them are good, but. Amityville, the awakening coming out new new Amityville horror movie. Like we needed that. Keddy is coming out. That's the cat documentary. I would actually recommend that. That's actually one of my top docs of the year so far. And I don't mean nice. it, it's actually really, it's really good. I highly recommend that Nutjob job 2, nutty by nature. Brigsby bear coming out. I'd recommend checking out Brigsby bear. And uh, that's pretty much all I have channel 13 is coming out. That's SRS cinema is putting that out and that's a limited edition. There's only 225 copies of that. So if you're into channel okay. 13, Oh hell yeah. I have no idea what that uh, is. I'm actually am not sure either. So, <laughs> <laughs> uh, what have we got on criterion this week?
1: Ooh, we have two coming out. First is from 1985. Donna Deitch's first film, uh, desert hearts. So, um, this seems really interesting. This is uh, an independent film that you know was kind of groundbreaking when it came out in 1985. It's about uh, two women, a love story between two women. Hmm. So that, that's a that's a uh, an independent an American indie you know that I've never heard of until this moment in time. You know, back when they first announced that Criterion was putting out. Sure. Yeah. So that seems interesting. And then there's also uh, Let's movie that just exudes cool <laughs> cool ass movie cool just cool contract killer
0: badass with his hat and his suit rocking the fedora like a boss oh my, oh my god it's ridiculous I haven't, I haven't
1: i haven't seen that movie in ages
0: maybe now's a good time to rewatch i think i think so all right, I think that's going to do it for this week. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to podcast at filmpulse.net. You can follow us on Twitter, at filmpulsenet, and at filmpulse. Kevin, If you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com forward slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.